What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an internationally acclaimed designer. She is a believer in the tenets of integrative medicine. She has an eye for innovative and green designs. She's a pioneer of designing for wellness. She's Irish born, New York based, a designer for everything. Ladies and gentlemen, the founder of Cloda Design, Cloda. Welcome, Cloda. Oh, thank you, Dan. It's such fun to be with you. It's always fun to be with you. And I, I think it was in December when we first saw each other for a really long time. And it was like, a, I believe, a minutes long hug and embrace. And it just maybe five minutes. It could have been five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. But I, I just found it. Um, I found that hug and embrace just like many of my times with you, just very centering and calming. And I think like when I, when I look back at our, our relationship over the years and for you being a pioneer in this kind of, I, in all at levels of design, but specifically on the wellness side, which I think I really want to talk with you about, there's just this whole idea of centering and calm first, then everything else comes second. Um, is that a fair assessment on my part? Very fair assessment. So my question for you on that, because there's this centering calm that I see with you, but then there's also just this expansive body of work and history and unbound energy with you as well. How do you balance the two? Because it's so incredible to me. Well, I, I think it's um, that I believe there's no savings account for energy. Just let, just let it, I call myself the flow through system, pick up the ideas, the images, yeah, whatever it is, and just let it out, let it flow. I think that, you know, self-editing can come later, but uh, I think any kind of, um, I, I remember the Dalai Lama said, uh, uh, I approach cooking and love with reckless abandon. Well, I approach cooking, love, and design with reckless abandon. I love that. And I don't pre-edit myself. I love the idea of not pre-editing, but also that's a really powerful idea you just shared that there's no savings account for energy because again, it, to me, it's such an incredible balance that you've achieved of just centering calm and then unbound energy. And I guess it's like, why save the energy now? Because we have so much to do and we have so many to impact and inspire. Yes, you don't know if you're going to be around later anyway. So <laughs> let it out. <laughs> Help yeah. people to enjoy their lives. Uh, true. Um, so I'm very curious also just about you. You are, I think, my only friend that has one name. So, and everyone refers you as one name. And I also came up with a lovely nickname for you as you are my dog. I love you. You make me, you make me so happy. Um, and I love that, um, you know, am I, been, am I Clodog? You're, you're, you're Clodog. You are my Clodog. Um, but 
as far as your journey and 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 kind of embrace of design with this unbound energy like how did you begin your design journey from way back in the old country well i began my design uh journey um i was brought up by very uptight older parents shoved off the church to boarding school protestant irish are very uptight and uh, both of them with very long names because they were fairly what we call in Ireland well-bred. So everything was uptight. And my father had decreed that I would be, get a um, you know, professorship in uh, classics and mathematics because his brother had many professorships. So I used to be a professor in classics and mathematics and his other deals signed up for the other children. But just before I got my, my uh, pre-intermediate, my intermediate exam, for, for, which is the pre of leaving certificate, um, I got, I got uh, six honors. So I was allowed to go into a university even at that early age. My father was overjoyed, but then I fell off a horse, broke my back. So I both broke my three vertebrae, not too badly, but badly enough that so I was on my back for about eight months. And um, I was lying there in bed because I could not sit up, not allowed to sit up, couldn't move around very much. And I was reading a lot and designing books that could be read on the ceiling, <laughs> could be projected and read on the ceiling. But that one day the Irish Times came in with my mother and I was looking at the ads and it said, why not be a dress designer? One of the ads said, I thought, that's a great idea. I'll be a dress designer. So as soon as I could walk, I announced to my parents that I was going to be a dress designer, that I was not going to be a professor of classics and mathematics, uh, that I was going to go to a design school for a few weeks and start my own business. Oh, now, I have a question. Back to, I want, back to your, your father's decree. Mm -hmm. How old were you when he made that decree? Oh, we were, we were practically we were from, the, from the age of, that we could actually listen, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, the decree was made. Wow. <laughs> the road was the road was laid out for us. So anyway, I'm lying there on my back and I and I look at this and I think, well, why not be a fashion designer? That could be interesting. So as soon as I could walk, I went to my parents and I said, I've decided to be a fashion designer. I'm not going to university. I'm not going to Trinity College Dublin. I'm going to be a fashion designer. And my father looked at me in total horror and says, None of our family has ever gone into trade, which means buying and selling. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, more or less, you will not darken the doors of this house again. So I got kicked out by my father. My mother took me aside and she said, I'm going to give you some money. Follow your heart. Wow. So she gave me 400 pounds with it. I, I, I paid a few weeks rent in, in somebody's home. I went to pattern cutting school. And when I was 17, I opened my own business with the courage born of total ignorance. And my names are so long and I read them out of the intermediate exam. Are you ready for this? Clota yeah. Fentanula Maeve Bacillary Phipps. Oh my I goodness. I sat there wait, at wait, my wait. desk. Wait, wait, you have to say it again. Cloda, Fanula, Maeve, Distillery, Phipps. 
was my full name. Wow. And they read it out the, the, in, the, in the examination hall. I think I went bright purple. I ne nearly went under the desk. And at that moment, I decided I'd only use the name Claude, and that was it. Love it. One name was enough. So I opened my fashion business, Clota. And then how old were you when you opened your fashion business? 17. Wow. So really just, again, unbound energy and just going and paving this way. Yeah. And obviously very scary uh, and actually very funny because I had no idea. Money was not even talked about in our house. You know, it was, not, it was like sex. It was not discussed, you know, <laughs> all taboo subjects. <laughs> so I opened a bank account because I was told I'd have to. And I'm, I'm like about three months into my business. And Mr. Mooney called me, my bank manager, and said, uh, Clodagh, I'd like to see your books. So I pick up the books I'm reading and bring them down to his office and put them on his desk. And I say, why do you want to see what I'm reading? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> well, so funny. What was his response? Well, laughed, laughed and <laughs> laughed. And I don't know why he was laughing, <laughs> but he explained. <laughs> And I discovered what books mean and bookkeeping. <laughs> mm. So, yes. So, yeah. Now, so then you were getting into uh, the first of your family getting into, into trade, right? You were darkening, right? As your father said, darkening the doors yes. of your family. Yes, exactly. So, anyway, I went. Which actually. I no, keep going. I just gonna say that that uh, what happened was um, the Irish Cancer Society was giving a fashion show at the end of that first year, the Hibernian Hotel, and they asked me if I would give a fashion show for them because a few of the members had bought my clothes. So I got picked oh. up by the Irish Times and had a big blast of publicity, and then I was invited home again by the father. Oh, so like a little bit, a, a little flash of celebrity lightened the doors. Lightened the doors and in his favorite newspaper, what's more. Oh, <laughs> no. The Irish Times. And then oh. at, the, at, the, at that show was a buyer from uh, Henry Bendel and a buyer from Lord and Taylor because the Americans, American buyers used to come over and see what the Irish fashion groups were doing. And um, they gave me an order and somehow I got, got it boxed and sent out to them. My bank manager lent me money to, to make it because you have to, you have to have the money to actually pay the tailors and the dressmakers and stuff like that and package it and ship it. So I did it and I was up and running. Wow. And how big was that box that you shipped? How many pieces in that first order? I, I can't remember exactly. I would probably think there were, there were very nice black and white Irish tweed suits. And I use a, a hunting pink color, which is really bright scarlet for the lining. And I made several styles. It was a long coat, short coat, pants and skirts and stuff like that. And, um, Lord and Taylor was giving a big Patrick's Day thing and they invited me over. I mean, it all happened very fast. And then was that your first time in New York City? 
Yes. Wow. Oh, and then did you stay then or you had to go back or, and you're like, I need, I need to come back here. No, I, I, I went back home. I, I got married. I had three children. I, my fashion career expanded. I was exporting, exporting all over the world. BBC did a movie, a documentary about me called The Fashion Maker. My boys were great fun. My kids were great fun. I was having a very good time. And then the Irish Export Board supported designers who were selling in the States, and like I was in Australia and so on. So it was, it was kind of easy, to, fairly easy to keep afloat. I mean, a big career, but still easy to keep afloat. And I made I made gowns for film stars and the the um, our president's wife for her tour of Africa. I did I made a collection for her to wear for her tour of Africa. And, you know, it what? was it was great fun. Wow! And it was a stretch. I mean, I was learning every bit of the way because I had a very sheltered childhood. Right. So it's interesting. You know, I know you've used the door metaphor a handful of times. And I remember from one of the first times I spoke with, I, I met you or I don't know where we were, maybe we were in Shanghai or something. And um, I was talking about this poster that we had because my last name being Ryan and just my parent, my dad would always say, oh, you're Irish, you're Irish. And, um, but we always had this poster in our kitchen that I'd see coming down the stairs and it was Doors of Dublin, right? All these multicolored yeah. doors. That's I don't right. know if um, a lot of people remember that or have any idea. Maybe I'll put a, a picture of it up there. And I remember talking about that with you. And then you shared like a really fantastically just incredible story that made this poster really even that much more significant yeah, to me. That. And I think it also, um, you know, I think it brought us closer together. Yeah. And that was my son standing in my doorway in the poster. And I have one of the original ones. My the little boy, he came, came, he knew the photographer was coming and he went out on the he went out on the steps and I said, take me photographs, take me photographs. So he's the only person in the poster. <laughs> and yeah, my so name, it, of course, is on the door. Yeah. Imagine a poster of, I don't know, there's probably 24 or 40, 20 to 40 doors. Um and they're all multicolored doors and it's called the doors of Dublin. And the only one where you can see was with a person in it was your son in the background. And like, I grew up with that imprinted in my head, which is just it's so funny, so wild. And then I think thinking about door, you know, doors are always a great transition. And then, so yeah, how did you go? Because you, you throughout your career have designed so many things from, from hospitality to fashion, to, um, for wellness just everything you're not limited or bound by anything and if you think about going from fashion how did you go from fashion to your next step or stop on the design journey well what happened was i i was doing very well in fashion in fact i designed the girl guides jubilee scarf uh, and presented it to princess margaret at buckingham palace i have a great curtsy you should see it <laughs> I think I have. We've and curtsied my, each other. And my boys were great. Um, the rest of my life wasn't going so well. And um, I took a major step. I changed husbands, countries, and careers. The trifecta. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then was that straight to New York? Where did you go? 
No, and I, I actually met him in Spain. Oh. And we lived between New York and Spain, and then we moved to Spain. And I was finishing my fashion career. I had uh, my last fashion show was particularly, I don't know how to say it, <laughs> all black, <laughs> the bride. <laughs> now my closet is 50 shades of black. Yes. <laughs> Something was happening. But um, when I went to Spain, I didn't speak Spanish. And I'd been managing uh, quite, you know, the, the weavers and knitters for and sewing people and so on. We'd been exporting all over the world. And it was like hitting a wall. What am I going to do now? And uh, we bought a townhouse in an old square, Plaza Vieja, number 13. And it was practically, it was falling apart in many ways and a beautiful old square. And um, Danielle said to me, my husband, can you help me with this? I said, sure, I'll take it on. So I took on the old house and the architect and the engineer and the plumber and the whole thing. And um, there was a retail spot in, in, on, the, on the ground floor in the basement. And um, when the demolition happened, and I'm arguing with the architect and arguing with the engineer and directing everybody. And a ray of light came in the window and hit the dust. It was like, it was just such a strong <laughs> ray of light. It hit me on the shoulder. As it hit me on the shoulder, I realized that I was doing what I wanted to do. So when Daniel came home, came home he was in, in real estate development, I said, I'm going to take the downstairs office and I'm going to start a design business. Just like that. So I've always taught myself to hire people who are better than myself. It's a, it, and it's, it's the best thing you can do. And I found an architect who was uh, a specialist in environmental design. And she was on sabbatical from the University of, Li of Liverpool. And um, I said, I want you to work with me because I know nothing. Wow. And uh, we, uh, and I, so anyway, I, I made a little store. I put a, I put a logo on the, on the metal gate and made a little store. And, and I put, I put the sign saying, the sign saying designer. I'd no sooner hung it up than there was a knock on the door, and there I go out. There's this beautiful look, looking Spanish guy. He said, "Are you, are you the English designer?" Oh, I said, "I'm sorry, no, I'm Irish." And he said, well, close enough. Would you design my English pub for me? <laughs> That's wow. the back of my first job. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I love how you just you just put designer. You weren't limited by a prefix or a suffix, right? You just said, I'm a designer. Yeah. I don't like to be boxed. Mm -hmm. hmm. And then... Okay, so then that's probably you're doing a pub is your first thing. So then if you think about hospitality, like that from your experience, or maybe in your sheltered childhood, you, you weren't going to the pub. I don't know if you were allowed to the pub. But no. to me, that is, um, that's like the ultimate feeling of warmth, right? And neighborhood and community as you go to the pub in the, in yeah. the oldest sense. Um, and if we think about that, as your first experience, and then you're just so many experiences of projects from that point to where you are today. Um, how do you define hospitality as a thread that might unify all of your projects from that point onward? 
Well, I think we're all guests and are sure all the guests and our honored guests in our own homes. I was born in Oscar Wilde's country house, which was up the lake from um, Ashford Castle. And I remember going there and the peacocks on the lawn and the great door and actually going in having afternoon tea and, and, the, and the beauty of a hotel, you know, trying to, trying to get ex parents explaining to me that you get everything done for you in a hotel. <laughs> and, you're, and you're so welcome as in a pub. Mm -hmm. So any form of hospitality, whether it's your own kitchen, your own bedroom, or whether it's um, a multifamily, three towers we've just done with, I think, 1,770 apartments, but designing the entries so that, so that it's hospitable, that it's welcoming, that it's, it allows ease of self. If you walk in the door, it's, it's giving you a hug. Yeah. So that's what I feel about hotels. They should give you a hug. Yeah, just like our hug after being reunited for so long. Yeah. Um, are you are you coming over to give me another one? I'm totally <laughs> going to come over and give you a big, nice, long, warm embrace. Yeah. Um, so I love I, I like that idea of the warmth and the hug. Um, if you think about, and then you said something else in there that was just this idea of ease of self. Okay. So if you. I consider you a pioneer. And again, I'm not an expert. I'm just a fan of kind of what we do and how we do it. But I consider you a pioneer of wellness design. So if you really think about that kind of ease of self and, and just not limiting energy and, and letting the energy flow, to me, how did you make the transition or not even transition? How did you bring in the whole idea of wellness through the projects and through your designs? Well, it starts at the beginning. My father used to breed dogs. We had horses. I, I knew that if I fed the dogs correctly or the horses, the horses would jump higher and behave better. The dogs would be more glossy and behave better. So I saw, for instance, how food and exercise interacted with animals. So all my learning comes from observation, really, I've, since I haven't had any formal training, really, of any kind, except, you know, when I left school, when I was in my late 16, uh, just, just, just observing what makes people happy, you know, what, like, I mean, it's a simple, you know, where it's designing a sofa, we have the flop test, you stand in front of it and let yourself go and you flop into it. The sofa gives you a hug. The armchair gives you a hug. Your kitchen is, is, is organized like a lab. You know exactly where your tarragon is, you know? That, 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 I'm trying to design the irritations, I suppose, out of people's lives. And yeah. a lot of people come in from travel and they're very irritated. You know, they've missed their train. The plane was late. You know, they had a row with their spouse on the flight. You know, and we, what I want to do is, 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 is get this atmosphere of balance using all the elements, earth, water, fire, wood, metal, balancing the elements. And, um, and I, the senses inform the emotions and sometimes very quickly. So, so yeah. observing what happens, how a beautiful living wall can literally you see coming, somebody coming in the door with a frown on their face and they look at the living wall, living green wall listen to the sound of water and you can see them giving a, a, a sigh of relief. 
There's yeah. so many ways you can do it. And I use I use words a lot too because being born in Oscar Wilde's country home, I, my brother gave me the epigrams of Oscar Wilde when I was actually quite little, so I learned a lot of them by heart. But the, the importance of words, even even a quote on a wall, just to just to make people feel safe and that people are thinking they're not just it's not just hair and makeup. It goes deeper than that. When I think of some of like the marquee projects from my mind that I've, that I remember just over the years. And I, and as you were saying, just the, all the different elements, I'm thinking of just big elements. Like there's what you do have these water elements, these big kind of rough hewn rocks and raw timber, and you're really bringing it all together in such a thoughtful way. And it, for me, when I walk into some of these places, I almost feel like I'm in a, like I'm like in Kiwa, for instance, I remember being in there and I just felt like I was near a mossy stream going through a wood somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's the kind that's the kind of feeling we want. Yeah. We made a boardwalk so that people could walk over a boardwalk over a protected marsh and say hello to the ospreys and maybe an alligator or two from afar before they went in. And then you have the water feature that's falling off into the marsh, just outside the front, the front door to the spa. You're not, you're not awfully sure where the sound is coming from, but it's there because the river's a little bit, bit too far, Kiwi River's a little bit far, too far away for you to hear it. And then it's the welcome when you come in. We're working with feng shui, the placement of, um, the placement of things for comfort and, and for, you know, for enhancing life. We also work with biogeometrists who who's, uh, work with us on the energy that, that uh, the energy of the interaction of energy and shapes. So that that all comes into consideration when we're doing this. Yeah, I think um, one of the things I remember you speaking with me about, and I feel like in how we've painted the picture of that kind of mossy, calming river through a wood. Um, I remember you saying a while ago, there's in, in most projects, not yours, but in many um, buildings, maybe not even projects, but many buildings, there's a certain deadliness to the lobby or of the mm -hmm. lobby. Um, and I think it kind of ties into that the person who's harried getting off the flight or the flight was late or they had a, a row with their spouse. Um, and I think it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, but like with that, more often than not, there is a certain deadliness to a lobby. Yeah. What are your strategies toward to like flipping that on its head and, and destroying that deadliness? We have many strategies. Uh, of course, the, the, the plant and the sound of water. We also use lenticular art. So which so it adjusts are this are the, are there something actually moving? Are you move it, it's changing color as you're walking by it? We have, um, I hate coming to a lobby when the bar is closed. I'm Irish after all, um, but it has to close down at some time. My plane was late. <laughs> so we, what we do with our coffee, coffee and grab and go uh, and, and bars, we have sliding doors and light behind them. So if, uh, if it's closed totally, the bar looks like a giant lantern. If it's breakfast, you slide the doors and open the blue part where the coffee is and everything like that. And if, and if it's uh, wine time, 
you slide away the breakfast and, and the, 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 the bar in that area is lined with beautiful amber or orange color, which is conducive for drinking and having fun. So, but, but we get, get the dead bar out, out of the bar by closing it and using the, using the closure as an art piece. Uh, a little hard to describe. No, it's, it's good because I think we can find images of that. And actually to bring it forward to a place that has always been special to me just because I've spent so much time up in the Berkshires um, in Western Massachusetts. My sister got married at this place. It used to be called the Cranwell, which was this hmm. old, I'm envisioning like an Oscar Wilde estate, right? Very, I'm, I'm very. That's where you were born. If that was in Ireland, you were born in that building, right? Yeah, it was smaller and it was an Oscar Wilde's father's country house, his fishing lodge, but but it was it had a lot of bedrooms, Victorian house, a lot of lambs, peacocks walking around on the lawn looking smart, as they tend to do. <laughs> so imagine this Victorian building, everyone, that's kind of in Western Massachusetts. Some industrialist built it hundreds of years ago, or 150, 160 years ago. Um, it's very traditional. So then it gets transformed into this Miraval, right? And Cloda, you, you and your team were working on that. How did you take that kind of more austere lobby experience and change it? Like what, taking some of those, you know, not that it was deadly, it was just different. Like so what were some of the tools you used kind in of, that experience? Kind of portly, really, you know, like portly chant, you know, that's, it also had been a school for some of the Kennedys, I think. I think Robert Kennedy went there. Um, it's uh, by injecting comfort. We do a lot of work with lighting. We bring we we bring fire in if we can, um, and honoring the place in a sense. So in the main dining room, there's a lot of loopy carvings on the ceiling. So we use that pattern on the carpet. We reflected it, and we turned the. Um, there's one room we turned into a tea room because afternoon tea is such a big thing in Ireland and England. And there's an ingle nook we turned into a sort of cuddling place. We're still working on that, actually. Project on a whole or just refining the cuddling space? Because I would like to cuddle up there. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pro, pro, most of the project as a whole, uh, but it opened just at the beginning of, of uh, our 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 little plague that we're in, in, <laughs> going through. But uh, we, we, put, we put beautiful gathering places. We, put, we, we brought in the barn feeling and the blue and the cran cranberry, the colors there, painted the insides of the closets cranberry and just made it very, gave it very much a sense of place, sense of where you are, because I think that good hospitality you don't you, you you know where you are just by looking at around at the, at the design yeah um one of our previous guests was sarah clemson from hyatt who was involved in that project and she was telling me just about the programming of miraval in particular like from the equine painting to um i forget the this kind of water meditation i forget what it was called but have you ever done um equine painting or any of that equine therapy i have i have i have i haven't i had equine therapy as a child i had, a, I had horses <laughs> one who managed to break my back but i'm insane about horses you know and there is something about their character and their velvety muzzles which is <laughs> very encouraging oh. 
But we use we use we use we use paintings in the bathrooms in the in the rooms, you know, of a kind of Marilyn Monroe horse with hair flowing everywhere. And no, we picked all that up. Sarah is amazing. She's She's amazing to work with. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's a real force in nature, I think, as well. I think that that uh, as far as her energy and your energy, it's again, I get that feeling of it just being like unbound and almost limitless. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, oh, she's definitely like that. I mean, she's uh, and so so articulate and analytic, you know, <laughs> because a lot of what we do is analyze. I call it step back so you can step forward. Mm. You know, don't rush it headlong. No, no charging. Just step back get your cone of vision and breathe. The Hopi Indians have a wonderful saying when you get up in the morning and you open the door, they say, take a breath of the new dawn and make it part of you. So that's one of my rituals when I, when I heat or cold, it doesn't matter, is to open my door and take a breath of the new dawn. It's intensely energy enhancing. It really is. And I think from a, a wellness, mindfulness, um, calming and centering perspective, the simplest thing that any of us can do is just remember to breathe yeah. and breathe well. And I can't tell you for me how often I lose track of my breathing. And I, and when I, if I'm feeling any kind of wave of anxiety or, um, a stress or something like that, if I just remember, and it's, it's so crazy that we just are not it's not such so easy to remember but just take a couple deep breaths and recenter yourself exactly what the dalai lama says is it's not the car it's who's driving it the car being our body because, <laughs> because it's going and right mm-hmm. and sometimes we just need to remember to to kind of i like the baseball terminology of just stepping out of the batter's box um and also so what of of the bat, uh, stepping out of the batter's box right so if okay. you're up at the you got to step out. And I, like had, re- I hadn't that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to step out and regroup. And um, it is amazing how just gentle reminders can remind us to just step out and breathe. But then also I find going into places that you've designed, it's almost like I walk in and then it's almost like I've entered a deep breath. That, that's, that's really what I'm trying to achieve. You know, that deep breath ease of self you can feel the tightness relaxing you know the the porter who was not naughty to you or something like that just forget about it you know just move on you know yeah totally and also giving giving what what uh our hotel in, in the east the east hotel where you actually give people um a spa experience, a self spa experience that can, they have the, the water circuit outside that they can use themselves. It's a huge gift. Plunge that, pool to East. Is that in Miami? So, yeah, Brickell, yeah. Oh my goodness. I was just there for a conference and it felt very calm in there and I didn't know you worked on that one. No, the one on Brickell, yeah. Yeah, we were yeah. there for the Independent no. Lodging Congress. Um, when was that? Like a month or two ago, two months ago? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you were with me there. <laughs> I felt so calm there. I actually, I felt so calm that I, when I went back the next day, I just felt like wearing flip-flops. That's interesting because the beds are, the, the bedrooms are very calm too. Very, because mm. sleep is, we, had, we helped to people to sleep well. Right? 
Yeah. yeah. Well, what's what's amazing about that one is, and I guess it's kind of like, um, oh, I forget the name of the one you did on next to the High Line. The it has a name. The Caledonia. The Caledonia, right? Mm-hmm. So it's these massive structures because the east is this massive structure. 50, I don't know, fifty something stories high of glass and steel. Same with the Caledonia, and then, but you walk inside and it's a completely non-austere feeling yeah and i think it and again if i go back it's that those dark rich woods and some kind of hammered metals and just like all these different textures of like you were saying earth wind and earth wind is it earth wind and fire earth fire water wood metal and fire and water yeah and of course air you know we're, we're devils on the air quality we try to get the best air quality oh that's 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 very important too Gosh, we and si- signage, signage is very important. I go mad with signage because I'm a bit of an airhead. Um, you know, when you when you wayfinding, mm-hmm. even you know, I go mad in the bathrooms where they have bottles. You know, they have the bottles for your hair lotion and your shampoo and your your spa soap and what have you, and you can't read it. Because somebody is so over designed, they can't just say it in one word what it is. You know? <laughs> yeah. I often Have you been find, through that? <laughs> I, I often find that signage and wayfinding um, is often very unsung because if it's done well, you don't notice it. You just wind yeah, up where yeah, you're supposed yeah. to be. But when it's done, when it's just not right or not, when it's even 95% of the way there, I think we all really notice it. It's like, oh, what what happened? And it creates that level of stress as well, right? It's like because it you're creates, lost. If you're meeting somebody, you're late. It's very stressful. Yeah, mm. it's um, I and I use color very often as signage in the East Hotel. I don't know if you remember those two different colors uh, slots of the elevator. That one, the sort of aqua slot goes up to the. Uh, service apartments and sort of orangey slot takes you up to the hotel. I don't remember the aqua one because I was paying attention to the hotel, but I do remember the orange feel over there. Yeah. So when you say you take signage very seriously, I mean, you take everything very seriously when you're designing, but like, what are some of your um, guiding principles with respect to signage? Well, that anybody, even if they're nearsighted, can read it. And if they can't, if they can't read it because they're so, if they don't have, you know, good vision, is to make something that indicates what it's it what it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you're going to. I mean, oh, wow. room 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 numbers that are being obfuscated by some some graphic designer that thinks the type is lovely, but you can't even read them. You know, it's, <laughs> especially <laughs> as I get older, and now I'm like I'm I'm in the process now of when I. I'm starting to look at things close up and I need to take my glasses off to read them. So I, I feel like it's all happening for me right it's, now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it happens for others. <laughs> and also you, the use of outdoor space and hospitality, if there's any outdoor space, mm-hmm. is, is create outdoor meeting rooms, outdoor lounges, you know, that not, not go all landscapery, but, but create places outside where people can enjoy themselves. Yeah. You know, fire bowls. Uh, a scented garden, for instance, a healing garden, relaxing garden, an edible garden. You know, it's uh, the time has come for us to really understand nature and what it can bring to us. 
I totally agree. And I'm seeing yeah. a huge, I saw a huge trend over the past few years of just the inside moving out, right? So we're taking yes. all the creature comforts of inside and moving it outside for exactly. space. But now I'm seeing a lot of the outside coming back in all the things that kind of were in that laboratory of bringing the inside out. Now it's kind of, it's coming full circle back inside. And I think it's only um, accretive. It's only adding to our overall experiences. Yeah. I've, I've always said we, we take the inside out and the outside in and we, 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 if I can, I mean, I'll go in anywhere. I'm like water. I'll go in anywhere. Even if I, even, even if I've not wanted, I like to work with the landscapers because I like to be able to say them here, stand at this window. You're looking at what you see, you know, mm. and particularly in the, in this, in this kind of a cacophony of glass towers we're surrounded by. That's how do you, how do you, connect to nature yeah, it's a very difficult balance and then actually and see okay so that's talking about that whole idea of wellness and how i and just in all these conversations i'm having in these podcasts um it seems to be percolating or popping like popcorn more and more which i think is only a good thing because i think we're we're just all a lot more aware of how wellness can make those austere environments just more welcoming, more calming, more hospitable. When you think about all the trends that you've seen from fashion through to where you are now, um, what's exciting you most about where this is all going? What's exciting me most about where it's all going is that uh, we're acknowledging our bodies and our body's needs. We're not ignoring them. We're not dressed dressed i mean when when i was in fashion people were wearing highly uncomfortable things because they you know, because they look great i think people are understanding that comfort can look wonderful <laughs> and landscape can give you great pleasure i mean you know that kick of pleasure you get when you see the first daffodils coming out or bluebells something like that i, I think we're acknowledging the world like that's what's happening we're we're not we're we're acknowledging that we're part of the world, and it took a, I think it's taken a virus in a sense, sense to to bring up that awareness. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just in being comfortable, everyone working from home, hopefully taking more walks just to get outside. Yeah. Um, I think it's I, I think that there are so many silver linings that are coming out of this, and uh, I t I totally agree with you. Better conversations. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're doing we're we're doing a job in in, in uh, Argentina where I'm, I'm trying to do a sculpture walk, but the, the, you can actually jump through some of the sculptures or climb over them, so so you can actually do have a fitness circle circuit. Sorry, and uh, <laughs> and then but also enjoy the sculptures. Um. Claude, I know you've said repeatedly that you've had no formal training, but you surround yourself with the best of people. Um, and there's also a certain vulnerability I picked up from you where you talked to your first Spanish client before doing that um, pub where you're just, you said like, I know nothing, mm -hmm. right? Um, I guess the question to me is, is despite the formal training and seeing your body of work, right? You've created this very Cloda thing. And if you were to go back over your career and design journey, 
who do you think was the biggest kind of influence or mentor on how you became this one one word dervish? <laughs> <laughs> I think that actually I'm I'm a sponge. I take from everybody. I travel incessantly. You know that. I've been in over a hundred countries, 120 countries now. I've that big battle with my husband. He's done 130. I think I think I think the learning comes from observation, and I'm not. Um, I think by not having had a formal education, I can think more freely. You know, learning can can um, confine your thought. No, you can't really do that. My motto is: do what you can't do. <laughs> Make sure it stays up. <laughs> the water runs the right direction. No. But I, I, I think I, I think that I mean I've met wonderful people, really wonderful people, wonderful architects, wonderful architects I haven't met, like the the silent power of Shadow Ando, the wit and wisdom of Jack Leonard Larson, the Weaver. No, the really, you know, the really muscular buildings of Tom Cundig, you know, are the architects we're working with where there's a group, you know, I learned from them, just listening to them. I'm wondering if, um, you know, looking at the evolution of, of your aesthetic and, and design and the projects that you're putting forth and, and harnessing all of the natural elements to create this peace and comfort and welcoming, if the decree that your dad made when you were so little about studying the classics of mathematics, I'm wondering if you maybe took the classics of human need and studied the mathematics of the physics of balance, and maybe you found your own way to that center rather than following his decree exactly. Uh, I think I think it could be right. And also great thinkers have inspired me. Edward, I don't know if you know Ed, Edward de Bono. Mm -mm. Lateral thinking, wonderful book. But I, he was a friend of mine, and he, I went to some of his thinking classes. He actually taught school in Canada on thinking. And 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 Dr. Richie Davidson, who has a clinic of the study of the um, healthy mind. Um, he was he was studying um, the sick mind, and he went to the Dalai Lama. And, and the Dalai Lama was asking about himself. And he said, well, I'm studying, I'm studying unhealthy minds and see what I can do to make them, you know, make, make these people well. And the Dalai Lama looked at him and he said, why don't you study the healthy mind and find out what makes them healthy and then apply that knowledge? So I suppose what I'm doing is a little bit the same. I'm, 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 uh, I'm looking for. I'm looking at people where they feel well. What makes I, I try to analyze what makes them feel well? Why are they happy there? You're trying to get us all to be silky dogs. <laughs> happy dog. Happy, well-fed, silky, luxurious dogs. Yeah. Um, when you think about and absorbing and and learning from everyone that you interact with. I know you've mentioned the Dalai Lama a couple of times, but has there ever been a person that you've encountered that made you feel more at peace than others? 
Well, I went to some. I went to some teaching by Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, the, the little monk who's just died. Yes. And I went to some two-day teachings with him. And uh, I think one understands simplicity so well. And you know what? And what matters? Mm. You know, he was talking about his parents were very poor and they couldn't afford very much. And when his mother brought him a cookie, he would sit in the garden just nibbling it bit by bit to make it last longer. Where, where I'm the kind of person I take a large bite into the cookie. You know? <laughs> and he had a mindful eating session. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's mindfulness. People's approach to life. Who looks happy and why? Why it's, are you happy? Why are you happy? <laughs> no. Why am I happy? I'm happy because in many, many ways, I get to do what I love and I get to have these kind of constant conversations and I, I, it gets to, and it all satisfies my, my curiosity about things. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm happy. Do yeah. I, would I love to do that all the time? Yes. Um, but it's really about finding that balance or maybe I just need to say, fuck it and just do, just satisfy my curiosity all the time. Um, but it's interesting you bring up um, Thich Nhat Tan, and I know I sent, said his name incorrectly, but he had just passed away recently. He and yeah. randomly, um, I've read his stuff over the years, um, but a few, I think a night before he died, um, I don't know what, maybe it was right. I, you know what? It was right around Martin Luther King Day because there was something about, he was telling a story about hugging and actually, if you go back to the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about our hug after seeing each other for so long. And he, I believe he was with the first time, it was 1968, he was in America, civil rights movement was happening. And I think he was with Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife, and she gave him a hug. And he felt very uncomfortable because he just, that's not what a monk does. He doesn't hug other people. But he actually sat with that um, uncomfortableness for a long time, for months. And, um, and he's like, well, why do I feel uncomfortable hugging? He's like, you know, I want to learn how to hug properly. So he did a lot of thinking and meditating on it. And um, he came, I think he came back and met Coretta Scott King again. I might be getting the people or names or timing wrong. And he gave her a hug. And it was a very long hug. And he discussed that um, a hug should be three breaths, a proper hug. I think the first, you hug the person, you embrace the person, you breathe out, um, and you envision yourself dead hugging that person. On the second breath, you envision the person you're hugging dead and you alive. And on the third hug, you envision both of you alive and vibrant hugging each other. And it had to do with the life's impermanence and really the person who you're touching holding is just gone and then you're gone, but then you're there together. And I, that whole cycle um, made the hug that much more enjoyable. Yeah, I, I actually had read, I had read that one. Because I think, I think one of the things also that the, uh, the plague has taught us is, is how transient we are. Times become like an accordion, you know, it just moves in and out and you 
can sometimes lose a day and wake up and you think it's one day and it's not actually it's another day. You know? <laughs> you're still you're still you're still trundling through, but the impermanence uh, of life is uh, has I think been taught to us very very strongly by COVID. I mean, so many people have lost people. Yeah, and I think about like with your love of travel and my love of travel. I think the times that I appreciate the most in travel is when there is that, I think you said like a warm blanket or a warm embrace. There's that moment of just like being in a place and just being grateful and appreciative for that moment. And it's, again, it goes into like how I sometimes forget to breathe or we all forget to breathe. Um, it's all there for us all the time. We just have to remember that everything is impermanent and we just need to kind of create by life and friends and people, this kind of hum of gratitude and appreciation behind exactly, everything yeah. that we do. Yeah, because um, I know that um, sometimes I turn to my husband and I, see, I, I say to him, I feel perfectly happy at this moment. Can't tell you why, I just am. You know, when, when then mom those moments come, learning, learning to grasp them. And also, having the ability to play your inner video back of when you are happy. I mean, my, if you open, I don't, I cannot understand what's a brain, three and a half pounds. Probably. No, something like that. I cannot imagine how many inner videos I have from, from being a little girl to right now, you know, places I've been, what I've done, what I shouldn't have done. What I <laughs> we'll save that for the next podcast. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> but um i just want to tell you i'm perfectly happy at this minute <laughs> i am too if you can't tell from my grin and I blush can. yeah yeah it's nice but i feel like there's so many times and you, you know you have this with all different kinds of people but there's there's been many many times throughout you and i knowing each other where we just have that laugh it's like an unbridled laugh right and it's yeah. it's great i don't know if you like tap that inner irish string of mine or something oh, i know? think so i think so and um of course uh growing up in ireland you know I'm, i i pun as i go along i don't <laughs> i don't always say <laughs> oh we to do what i love about our studio we all laugh a lot yeah yeah one, once one member of my studio sends me sends me a really really awful joke maybe twice a day sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and i've got the quote wall in the studio which is a little little politer but but i i collect funny i collect funny jokes and i've acted in so many funny jokes mm. i've been an actress in a funny joke want to hear a spanish one yes okay i'm trying to learn spanish my husband he said, I'm going to take that, uh, that room. I, that's where my desk is going to be. You need, you need to go out and find me a desk. It's my first time going out, finding a desk with two drawers, speaking Spanish, trying to speak Spanish. So I walk into this, it's along the keys in Almeria. I walk into this big furniture place. And, and when, I'm, when I don't speak the language very well, I, like, I speak a little louder. And I said, uh, excuse me, quiero una mesa. Con dos cojones. <laughs> no, those of you listening, cojones are balls <laughs> and cajones are drawers. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so the guy says to me, 
Well, Doug's totally talking about it back. He says, excuse me, excuse me, senora, would you would just wait there while I go in the back and bring out some people? So about seven people come out and said, repetir se por favor. And I said, quiero una mesa con dos cojones. <laughs> and at this moment, I hear a peal of laughter. My husband had crept in behind me. <laughs> but we laughed about that for years. <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. And I'm still laughing about it. I I'm haven't actually laughing. heard that one. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Cloda, I love also throughout the conversation and throughout just knowing each other, you you bring up the little girl Cloda a lot, right? And I feel like you're very in touch with your with your younger Cloda, right? I am, yeah. And uh, and I think that that's also where a lot of joy comes from. And that thinking about that, you know, the video, the me- the video memories that we have in our heads. If you, the Cloda of right now that I'm talking to you and we're just happy right now, you, let's say you just went back in time and met little, little, little Cloda just after your father made, decreed to her that you're going to study mathematics and classics. What advice do you, Cloda, now give the little girl Cloda? Well, that's a difficult one. I, I think just be as bold as I was. <laughs> I said, in Ireland, bold as you're naughty, <laughs> not doing what you're told. <laughs> Stand up. <laughs> I love it. Stand up for your, for your, I don't have an inner child anyway. I have an outer child. I have an inner adult that I constantly suppress. She's a bit, a bit prissy. Mm. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> the outer child is much, is much better to me. Design more tables with balls. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how often Danielle dined out all over town on that story. Here was oh. my wife said. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh. Um, well, I just want to say, I appreciate connecting with you in so many different ways and um, just the time and the stories and um, the shared laughter from, from now. And as far as if other people want to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you, Cloda? How do they get in touch with me? They, they, uh, they info at cloda.com. Mm-hmm. Great. And then yeah. we'll put that up there and we'll have all yeah. the links to your website to learn about you because you guys are just working on some incredible things. You have a great team. Um, yeah, we're, we have so, so much exciting stuff going on. I can't tell you. you know? Yeah. I'm, well, I'm excited to learn more and continue this conversation and, um, I just want to say thank you for making me laugh and thank you for being an incredible guest. Thank you for inviting me to help to make you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and now we'll have to do it in person with some Guinness soon. Absolutely. But Guinness with champagne, please, for me. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and I also, importantly as well, I want to thank our listeners. And I hope this talk has evolved your thoughts on hospitality and design and just being bold and following your dream and following your intuition yeah yeah do what you can't do it's my 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 mottos do what you can't do give something away every day and do what you can't do so if this is inspiring you to do what you can't do and try something new every day please share this conversation with a friend and thank you everyone and we will see you next time